Welcome to Hellbent for Metal, the podcast that doesn't always believe longer is better. Although you would be forgiven for thinking that wasn't true the last couple of episodes. Um, that's, that's because the last two weeks we did things that were long. Obviously, I can't possibly think of anything else you might imagine. Starting the uh, birthday bang off with the usual inappropriateness we expect. <laughs> Don't use the phrase birthday bang, that sounds like something else. Well, maybe, I was, maybe that was what I was trying. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, anyway, hopefully this one will be a bit shorter. Uh, enough about my grander stories. Uh, this is episode 52 of Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast in partnership with Knotfest. Uh, I didn't fuck up my intro. Wow. Yeah. What the fuck happened like, there? Took me a second there. I was like, shit, you fucking said it right. Yeah. First go. What bloody hell! Right, so don't jinx it. Let's keep let's keep going. This is going to be where, be the week where nothing goes wrong. Right, if you know how numbers work, you'll probably have just noticed that we are now a full year into Hellbent for Metal. This is our first birthday show, so we've got some special stuff for you to celebrate. Hooray! Uh, I'm Tom Dare. Hello, uh, and with me is someone who's got a similar attitude to length that I have in that he likes something substantial, but does find some things just too big to take in. Isn't that right, Matt Rushton? <laughs> you are not fucking doing this. <laughs> I'm, ta- I'm just talking about that Between the Buried and Me album, and also the new Mastodon album. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly what you're talking about. I'm just gonna, I'm yeah, I'm gonna go with that. I, I'll because uh, you know to get away from the embarrassment here. Uh, that Mastodon album is very long, isn't it? I actually just listened to it before we before we started recording today. I genuinely am talking about that Mastodon record because I was writing my notes for today while listening to that, and it like don't get me wrong, there's some really nice things on there, but it is 86 minutes long. Yeah, that, that's, that's that's too much for me. It's um, incredibly long. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and while you know, there are some things. How can I say this without just it turning into a doublon tondra? Just because something is very impressive doesn't mean you actually want to enjoy it, right? Just let's let's leave that there before I get get, get us both into godly into <laughs> blushing. Um, we begin the show this week with yet another change to our advertised schedule because once more, some things have happened that we absolutely have to talk about. But this time they're all good. We have good news. Good things nice have happened. Fucking change, isn't it? Oh, so such a relief to just say, "Oh, so this is really cool." We need to change our plans, right, Matt? Let's ditch this and do that <laughs> instead. Yeah, we have good things that have happened to talk about. Brilliant. Uh, first up, and this this will be a quick one. Uh, we told you a few weeks ago that we were doing our first live event. Uh, which is called Queer Stories from the Home of Metal, which is a collaboration between Shout Festival, which is a queer arts festival in Birmingham, the West Midlands, and Home of Metal. We are going to be the media partners for the event and we'll be taking part in the live show itself and recording an episode as part of the live show, which is all mega exciting. The main part of the event and the show we'll be doing is going to be presenting the stories of queer folk in the metal world from the Home of Metal, which for anyone who who's seen Metal Headbangers Journey or any of the other many, many things over the years that have told us this, uh, is the West Midlands and Birmingham more specifically. Uh, here is a taster of what you're going to get to hear. My first Judas Priest album I heard was Stained Class, and which has stuck with me as being my favourite album by Priest. Uh, and I must have been only about 13 when that, that was 1978, I think, that came out. So I was still very young when I got it in the 80s. Uh, and that is an album, even now, I will go back to as being a pivotal moment in, in my life, being a gay man listening to metal. Because everything stood out from that, from the pictures, from the artwork, the lyrics. They could be twisted into the way my life was and the struggles I was having within myself. I've never had any bad experiences in the scene. Um, I don't feel like people care as much about your sexual orientation in this scene compared to other scenes. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that they're like, yay gays and like openly waving pride flags and inviting gay men, particularly I would say, into the scene and being like, yes, we 100% support you. 
this is gay friendly. I, I would say less so because I think that there's still that belief that sort of gay men are not mas masculine, whereas heavy metal is still considered quite masculine. So maybe like as a lesbian, I would fit in okay, but maybe my gay best friend wouldn't. I get, yeah, I do feel it is becoming a lot better. And it's, you can see even in my lifetime, the change in it. Like I said, I think metal's going through a bit of a rough patch at the moment, but the thing about metal is it will always rise. So if you're interested in hearing more like that, uh, plus in seeing me cock up my intro, uh, uh, I didn't this week, obviously. And uh, if you want to see us as well doing a West Midlands themed camp classic in person, which we will be doing, uh, and you might even get to meet our sorry asses. Uh, the event is at Subside Bar in Birmingham, England, as Napalm Death and Anana Thrak pronounce it. Tickets are only a fiver, which is a bargain, frankly, and are available from homeofmetal.com. I have been told that you might want to get a wiggle on if you want a ticket, though, because it is going well and you don't want to get hit with fear of missing out when they sell out because uh, no one likes FOMO. Right, that's one happy thing. We have more, though. This is definitely not the last either. Now, you've almost certainly heard me talk about Roadburn on here because I just think it's an incredible festival. It's truly unique. It puts on amazing music and events. Uh, but we've never really had a chance to talk about them from a queer perspective because it's a festival and that's you know that's sometimes a bit complicated. Well, this week they did their first announcement for next year's event, and oh boy, there's some cishet stuff we need to include first, right? Collaborate. How does this sound to you, Matt? There's a collaboration between James Kent, better known as Perturbator, and Johannes Person, better known as the frontman of Cult of Luna. How's that? Yeah, sounds good. I'm not like into Perturbator, but like with that sort of being a mix, I think that would be really cool. Are you actually surprised? I don't know if you're feigning surprise there. <laughs> not even the Uncanny Valley? No, it didn't do anything for me. Wow, okay. Sorry, that's one of my favourite albums. I just heard that and just went, fucking hell, why has this not been in my life before? I'm really excited for that. Um, full of hell are the artists in residence playing four shows, including a collaboration with nothing. You're into that, yeah. right? I'm well into that. I fucking love nothing. And yeah. I, I'm also well interested in how the fuck that's going to sound. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, don't get me wrong. Both bands, great. Together, I have no idea what that's yeah. going to sound like, but I fucking want to hear it. Um, Our Sister playing Ekai de Lune in its entirety. I love that album. Uh, my apologies to any for French people listening for the pronunciation you're about to hear. Uh, the song Perse de Luminier is just one of the best things I've ever fucking heard. I'm actually going to check the pronunciation of that to see how badly I fucked that up. <laughs> uh, or even per se, de Lumiere, if I actually look at what the song's actually fucking called. I don't speak French. Excited for that? Would you Would you turn up for that? Um, I've Yeah, I was just one of those bands that I've never like properly dived into, but I've really liked everything I've heard from them. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> okay, well, Ekai de Lume was my kind of entry point for them, and I just went, I think I completely love this in every single nice. way. It's, it's like... I'd, great record uh solstice here playing Svartis sandar in its entirety yeah, that'd be nice wouldn't it yeah that's live as well i think is the best way to hear that album because it that like, speaking of long things that album's long and it can be a bit kind of hard going just listen to it in all one go even though like solstice music suits kind of expansive long uh production but to see it live will be even better um, Divide and Dissolve, who I spoke about on the right at Crossover Show, are also playing. That should be great. And Reclusive Mysterious Hate Crew Gay Bar Entrance, Lamp of Murmur, are also playing. And I didn't even think live shows were an option for them, so or him, or whoever they actually are. That I'm well excited for. Yeah, I think uh, that new album as well, like seeing a few of those songs live will be really cool. Because yeah, weird as fuck, isn't it? <laughs> it's weird as fuck. It's great. That uh, there's a serious possibility I might talk about talk about that on the Hate Crew Gay Bar at some point because that album's been getting a lot of plays for me. Yeah, really excited for that. All right, so far, so great, right? It's it's festival announcement. Why are we talking about a festival announcement? We don't really do that. We haven't done that for other festivals. Why are we doing it for this one? We've been going a year, and we well, okay, for a lot of uh, there weren't any festivals going to happen because we were in <laughs> lockdown again, but. Why a hell bit for metal talking about a festival announcement? Okay, here's where it gets interesting. Vile Creature, who are very proudly queer, and Bismuth performing A Hymn of Loss and Hope, which was a piece 
commissioned by Roadburn for Roadburn in 20, for their 2019 edition and was basically going to be a once performed, never again thing where they're doing it again, but at Roadburn again. I don't know about you, but that sounds fucking exciting. Vile creatures scare me. <laughs> Vile creatures are wonderful. I wasn't into them when this show started, but talking to Joe about them made me go, maybe I need to listen to them again. And I, oh God, he was right. God, they're what I, they, I'm a complete convert. I think they're wonderful now. They're one of those bands that I think are really good. It's just like outside of my sort of uh, remit, essentially. Okay. Well, I for one hear that and just go, oh my God. Um, next, this might be more your thing. Back X Wash, the queer artist who mixes rap and metal, will be doing her European debut. Now, oh, I didn't know it was a European debut. Yeah, I like Backwash. Yeah. Um, like the last the album, I think was it this year? I can't remember. Oh, is it Backwash? Real. I've never heard it said aloud. Yeah, as far as I know, everyone that I've talked to about her says Backwash. Yeah, so <laughs> well, she, she's kind of out of my world. So I've only come. Yeah. I've I've read everything that I I know about her at, apart from hearing the music. Right, so it's mm. but. Like I normally have a cloth ear for hip hop, and I heard that out al- album she released earlier this year, and just went, "No, that's wicked. That's yeah, really pretty, good." Well, you know, Sabbath and all that, like samples. So always yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but it's fucking like even the bits where it's not doing things like that, it's just fucking heavy and yeah. like it yeah, really. It's dark, isn't it? Yeah, and her she can throw down, right? She can MC. Um, <laughs> I t- I'm totally out of depth here, right? <laughs> It's that's obvious. the whitest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Man, that's saying something. Um, I grew up in South East London as well, so I really <laughs> should, I really should, like, be more versed. But yeah. it's, it was never my thing. I just like dip in when I like it. Um, and also, Liturgy, who's mastermind and front person and only uh, consistent member, Hunter Hunt- Hendrix, is trans, are performing twice. Firstly playing their 2019 album HAQQ or Hack or however we're actually saying that in full. Secondly, and this is where things go completely bonkers, they're doing this kind of avant-garde black metal opera, apparently, that's how it's being described, which is Liturgy's album from last year, Origin of the Alimonies, with a chamber orchestra and a film by Hunter playing behind it and her doing the vocals, I think is how that's going i mean i have no idea what that's going to be like but that sounds like it's going to be bonkers and i kind of want to see it now yeah that's the sort of thing that every every year like roadbird announces obviously some like special events and shit like that and that you just won't get anywhere else and just makes you incredibly fucking envious of everyone who gets the guy yeah right now why are we talking about this even though well it's still only a festival lineup yes it is a festival lineup but this is Three queer or queer-led metal acts in prominent, visible major slots on the festival bill in the first announcement, front and centre. Please go out and buy a ticket. Tickets are on sale in a couple of days. Here's the announcement. When have we ever seen a festival do that? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and not to be like not anything lgbt sort of like again you know front and center is obviously cool for um you know for inclusion and all that sort of stuff but uh there's i guess more it's more common to see like gay guys or whatever whereas this is like two trans artists and valkyrie non-binary i believe correct yeah so to see sort of that um part of the lgbt uh community sort of represented so strongly is really cool i mean you've been to roadburn yeah. a couple of times right yeah. yeah twice 2014 and 2016 yeah like in terms of like sort of how inclusive and whatever it feels like <laughs> how is that well uh 2016 when i went just outside of roadburn's uh the o13 venue in the tilburg which is the city in the netherlands where it takes place uh, there's just outside the venue there's this uh, strip of cafes and across that is a uh a zebra crossing to the town square. It's zebra crossing for anyone listening to America is like a, a, a crossing without uh, traffic lights where cars are supposed to stop for you to cross. Right? It's normally black and white, black and white stripes, hence zebra crossing. They painted it pride colours. Nice. <laughs> so it feels, I mean, it's the Netherlands, right? It's a pretty yeah. LGBT friendly place. And I know it's not Amsterdam, it's, you know, south, but it's it still feels, it still felt to me fairly safe and inclusive. And 
to kind of turn up on from my second road burn and look down and see that on on the crossing to actually get to the venue i went oh well that's that's fucking great that's i really like that yeah it's a nice way to start off your weekend isn't it it's yeah it's like seeing some of that yeah and it's it's always kind of felt like it was somewhere where you could be a little bit more open and you could be yourself a bit more if you weren't your typical cis out white man so i know there are there was a much higher proportion of the crowd and, and performers were women than you would get at other festivals. Mm. Um, yeah. I wasn't sure how many other people there were openly queer because there, I didn't see like any obvious couples or anything like that. Um, but it certainly felt like the kind of place where I could have t- like my partner would hate it. But if if I took if I took him along, I'm sure we it would have been fine. Yeah. I'm sure there wouldn't have been any problems. Um, and it it felt like the kind of place that this kind of thing could happen. It just hadn't yet, and now it has. And it's it's just seeing them in such prominent positions, seeing those names being really pushed to the top of the announcement, and going, "That's representation." I, I unless it's kind of Rob Halford. When have I seen that before? <laughs> And like, if it's yeah. one guy, it doesn't it doesn't really count, right? Because one guy can be a token gesture. Exactly, especially with Rob Halford, where it's like even the homophobes say, "Yeah, but he's all right." <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Whereas, you know, when it's like when it's three, th- you know, three acts, four people who are openly LGBT plus, going, we push them right to the front of our announcement. We want you to be excited for them, making no mention of the of the the queer aspect yeah so they're not doing it to say hey look at us we're really inclusive yeah, yeah. no they're doing it so look these are wicked these artists are great we want to Which, we want to platform you know, is, them it, yeah it's the world that we want to live in really in it where it's just yeah. like hey let's book a festival based on quality and not try and fucking you know be tokenizing or anything like that it's just like they happen to be queer that's not their identity that's just something they happen to be sort of but it's you know it's the the world we want but it's where representation does happen because there are loads of festivals where oh we don't say oh we don't book people based on what their background is we're not trying to create diversity we book them on quality and what they what that means is virtually everyone on the bill is male virtually everyone on the bill is white and virtually everyone on the on the bill is is uh cis and heterosexual what has happened here is that they have said no we're booking based on quality and given you some queer performers that you can say, well, actually, we are represented. Then yeah. our community is there, so it's kind of it's it is genuinely the world we want to live in, rather than kind of what a lot of people who say they want in, say they want to help diversity do is when what they say they want diversity and then they do fuck all about it. Yeah, exactly. So I just think it's wonderful, and thank you, Roadburn. But we're not done because I that was my shit attempt at a drum roll. <laughs> I. The day after we recorded our last show, went to a gig. A what? An actual gig well, with a shit. real band. And it was incredible. I had forgotten quite how much I'd missed live music. You know when you just, you'd got to the point, we'd been in lockdown and we long enough for us to be missing live music, right? And then we got so far beyond there that we'd forgotten what it was like to miss live music and we could forgotten how bad that that kind of longing actually was and then suddenly i turned up at you know the, it wasn't even the headline act raging speedhorn who i kind <laughs> i like but they're not like my favorite band ever they started and i was going this is great i'm loving this this is so good and the, yeah i was just immediately remembered oh that was how much i'd missed it the headline act though was Skindred, and this was in Newcastle, and it was fucking brilliant because, of course, it was at Skindred. Um, first off, uh, how jealous are you of me right now? <laughs> just, just on a on a scale of one to sick in your mouth. Yeah, I mean, it's a hell of a first gig back, you know. Like, obviously, I love Skindred. I've never actually been to one of the headline shows. It's always been at festivals because you know they are essentially at every fucking festival ever. Um, and long may that continue. Yeah, exactly. And they're always great. It is a hell of a first gig back. I've not been to a gig back yet. My first one is next month. Uh, employee serve, which will be nice. Oh yeah, that's very good though because mm. they are fucking great. 
Well, the reason I'm talking about this here, though, because obviously just me going to a gig is just, yeah, showing off. Great, but it's <laughs> not really relevant to the show. No, the reason we talk about it is that Benji did the thing, that thing that me and Joe spoke about all the way back in episode four, is to say this is why Skinder had a great, and you know, this is a a real kind of a, a moment we genuinely feel is inclusive because he did the thing where he says we don't care if you're black or you're white, if you're gay, you're straight. And he then said something about the show being about togetherness and about having a good time. And and to have that on my first gig since this fucking nightmare began, genuine, I was welling up. I was just going, <laughs> oh my God. And just, it's so simple. It's so low effort and it achieves so much. Yeah, exactly. And it's nice to see them still doing it sort of thing. Because like, not that, I don't. Not that I think you know myself or you or pretty much anyone else would have thought it would have been a sort of here's a gesture type thing. Maybe because something had happened to make it relevant, but for them to continue doing it and for every single one of their shows to be very explicitly no, if you are a discriminate like a discriminatory in any way against any of these sort of people, then get the fuck out of our show. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And it's, it just makes something that was already great, right? Skin Dread are fucking amazing live. But it just takes that and just makes it even better. And I was there with my fiancé, right? And I was wearing my Violet Cold shirt, in the lo- which has his logo in pride colours. So I, was qu- I would imagine it wasn't hard to work out that <laughs> I was gay just by looking at me. I mean, unless you were really, really, really trying hard not to pay attention. Uh, and although I did hear one dickheads make a, a comment that was both transphobic and homophobic at the same time while I was having a piss. Apart from that dickhead, not only did I have no trouble, but a lot of the Newcastle crowd were mega friendly. Like there was one yeah. dude in particular who was clearly there with his mate, so he didn't need anyone else to kind of join him with him. But he, oh, I think it was during Nobody, he saw that I was enjoying the song as much as he was and kind of got my attention so we could shout the Nobody, Nobody Gets Out Alive bit to at each other nice. which was lovely and it felt really safe and welcoming yeah newcastle's fucking great man <laughs> such a good oh, night yeah. out and it always it always like i've always felt it is super welcoming and super inclusive so that's cool yeah it was yeah more of this please so it's just it's so so nice to come away with such a positive memory of you know, something that really did kind of make me feel where welcome, not just as a you know, paying punter who had, you know turned up to see your band, but as a gay guy at a metal shirt. Well, how nice is that? For our anniversary show, we had to dump something to talk about, but it was events from in events from the week, but all for good reasons. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? And uh, you know, with it being the birthday sort of thing, I just want to say. Um... I didn't know that you were gay until a couple of years ago, uh, even though I've sort of been following your, your sort of work and stuff for quite a long time before that. Uh, I think you were the first sort of metal journo to, or that I saw, which was pretty cool. So I just wanted to say sort of thanks for, you know, giving us a lot of voice and a space to feel welcome and accepted. Um, obviously, I joined the pod on, I think it was episode 13 or something. So those first something like three like that, months, yeah. those first three months that it was... Uh, sort of airing uh, i was just listening to it as a fan and i thought it was an amazing and really really cool and really important idea uh, i've not seen much of that crossover between metal and queers before and sort of seeing the pod and the community grow has been incredible you know there are quite a lot of us it would seem and you know thank you for sort of letting me be a part of that i always appreciate that and hope i'm doing an all right job of helping progress those causes too Oh, I think you're doing a great job, and thank you. Oh, I'm going to go all gay now. I'm going to, <laughs> I'm blinking in the back. Uh, well, thank you. I, I hope we can keep doing this for as long as possible because um, I'm having a fucking great time. Good. Well, looking at your hate crew gay bar entry, that's the last time I'm going to be nice to you this episode. So make the most of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm bracing myself. But you know, speaking of the hate crew gay bar, uh, because we're British, we simply have to go for a drink on our birthday, don't we? Shots. Hi, this is David from the Nightlight Orchestra in Solberg, and you're listening to Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast.
We glide in celebratory mood into the Hakeru Gay Bar. Uh, Matt, we've got some champagne chilling, but we need a good birthday cocktail to keep us going till it's cold. What would you recommend? The only time I'd ever recommend this would be on a birthday, but a Long Island iced tea, really, because <laughs> just a bit of everything just gets you wankered all, all like, straight away, doesn't it? So. Long Island iced tea, also known as a hangover in a glass. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a guilty pleasure, that one, I've got to say. Yeah, I mean, you fucking should be feel guilty about drinking that. Like, don't get me wrong, I like each constituent component on its own. Lovely, put them together. It's just like meths. Um, and excellent. Any, well, I say excellent, not really. Um, but drunk. Uh, for anyone new here, this is our heavy metal gay bar where the jukebox already has all the obvious and classic stuff in it, but we need to keep it topped up so we don't drive the bartenders insane with endless repeats of seasons in the abyss and kickstart my heart. Um, which might be the only um, Motley Crue song in the jukebox because I think neither of us like them and we get to say what goes in it. But I like that song, so that's in. Uh, anyway, uh, this that's why we put a recent release each in every week. Uh, we will sometimes unite on one or two if we both want to put in the same thing. Uh, this has definitely not happened this <laughs> week. Though. Matt, what birthday inappropriate music have you got for us instead? Uh, I've brought in the new album from Ghostbath uh, called Self Loather, which is uh, really quite fucking depressing. <laughs> so, yeah, not the most appropriate for the birthday, but I love Ghostbath. I've loved what they've done before, and I think right off the bat, this is the best album. Weird thing to start with, but I want to shout out the production. I fucking love the production on this, and it's weird because it's, in, like, for quite a lot of it, it's almost like a raw black metal sort of thing. Uh, which I hate, like, 99% of the time. So it really sort of surprised me by how much I liked that part of it. By raw, you don't just mean, like, second wave revival. You just mean it sounds harsh, right? Yeah, yeah, maybe that's the better word. Because raw black metal often it often is slang for this sounds exactly like Dark Throne or something like that, <laughs> which it does. Yeah, recording a biscuit tin sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, what was the first song? I think it was Convince Me to Bleed uh, from this record, and I loved that. The, this like swirling sort of lead guitars, and like there's tremolos all over this album, which is one of obviously the biggest cliches in black metal, but I fucking love it so much of the time. But there's like, there's like dual leads here as well, like dual sort of guitar harmonies playing like counter melodies and whatever. Also in the next song, High From The Sun. And then that like unleashes into, I don't know if I should call it a solo because it sort of plays like the whole way through, but it's not something... It's that a lead I, guitar line, right? Yeah. I just like, it's not something that I expect to hear in this way, in this sort of black metal. I mean, I love this. And I think it's interesting as well having lyrics now because uh, I sort of didn't really think that that would work because obviously the last couple have just been essentially screeching noises and don't get me wrong they are still here but there are actual lyrics and i think it makes the whole thing feel more complete um the vocals themselves though are still used quite sparingly which i think can sometimes be quite risky sort of asking people to you know pay more attention to just like the sort of soundscapes they're creating but i think what's going on in the music here does justify that decision so uh, you say you mentioned the the Vocals didn't used to have lyrics. I didn't used to like Ghostbath. And when I say I didn't used to like them, I'm being very polite there. And the vocals were the entire problem. I just couldn't get past them. I don't have that problem here. I think the vocals are absolutely fine now. And I'm kind of, having come around from, I don't like Ghostbath, I'm now sitting here thinking, actually, I might like Ghostbath, but I don't get it. Not in a, I think this sucks kind of way, just in a, this isn't doing the thing for me that it's obviously doing for you way. So very, kind of very much four-stroke Baron situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So if I don't say an awful lot about what I think in the next few minutes, it's, it's not because I don't have any thoughts. It's just that I'm hoping that you're going to say something that makes me see it in the new light so that I might enjoy it because I really think I might. So what is it that it kind of makes you feel when you listen to it that you go, oh, I want more of this? I think... <laughs> It's like hilariously depressing. The mu- the music itself, I think, is so sad. Um, and obviously, you've got like the wails and like, just people sobbing in the background and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you do have to laugh, sort of thing. Like, and I don't, I, I don't think they intend for it to be funny. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but I fucking love that. Um, 
but there's, I think there's a lot going on here because it, it definitely has a sort of overall feel and overall vibe to the record. But I, I'm a few listens in now and I'm still hearing a lot of different things each time. And I think each song sort of stands up not only on its own, but they do all sound different. And they do all have like their own sort of idiosyncrasies, which, you know, make them cool within their own right. Um, like Sanguine Mask, for instance, that comes in and stays really like evil it, like, it sounds really evil which a lot of the record doesn't but then that finishes with the strings and piano which is beautiful and also the instrumental piece the super jovially titled uh, i hope death finds me well <laughs> i just think that's lovely isn't it? and it's, really, it's well placed as well like this album is i think 45 minutes longish and that's like track seven and it's like a four minute sort of break because it's quite intense you know the first six songs are quite intense and it is it is hard work sort of thing and that gives you a little bit of like niceness i guess before the rest of the album comes in it, it the length is an interesting topic because it is intense but it does i think the fact it ends before it kind of has any chance to outstay its welcome is probably a big reason i'm willing to kind of give this extra listens to say well i don't i'm not sure i get it but i think there might be something and i'm willing to persevere with it and that's a genuine positive because cramming it's better to cram a lot of ideas to a short space of time than to hang around for ages and say nothing, right? But enough about you know other records we've taken the piss out of recently. <laughs> I, I kind of I'm not sure whether the thing that you're saying you're enjoying is not ironic, but you're kind of listening to how uh, depressing it is and not feeling depressed. You're actually kind of quite the opposite. You're feeling kind of well, that's really entertaining or whether actually the fact that you're it, it is just an hour of kind of well, not an hour 45 minutes of kind of absolute misery is kind of like it's kind of some kind of cathartic thing we're just going right i'm just going to bathe in grim yeah for 47 minutes and then oh i feel better now i've worked that out in my system is it that which one is it because i i'm not sure i'm i'm because i kind of i can he i can yeah. hear that it could be both and i think i'm probably hearing the former which I'm yeah. not necessarily into. And I'm kind of hoping that you might help me see the latter. Yeah, I do think it's the latter mainly. Like, I listen to it and I am, um, yeah, depressed as fuck for the whole duration of it. And it's it's heartbreakingly miserable. And then I come out at the end of it and it, because it's been so intense for, for that length of time, just that one sort of mood. And then I sort of laugh. I'm like, fucking hell, that was something, wasn't it? <laughs> right. So it's like it's like kind of paradise lost type thing. It's like, oh, that was miserable. Here, let's have a joke now. I don't know why. I'm talking, <laughs> well, I know exactly why I've gone northern because that's what talking paradise lost is like. It's like you. Well, I've, we're going to be really serious, and then there's going to be a joke from Hello Hello at the end. Um, I've interviewed Paradise Lost quite a lot. Um, it, it, that's something that people never say is that Paradise Lost are well into their sitcoms. They love them, and that's something that's true of. Yeah, loads of people I've interviewed who've made really miserable music have been really funny. So I bet Ghostbath are actually like private, whether it's overt or not. I bet they love really good comedy or something like that. They're actually quite cheerful to be around, even though their music is kind of grim as hell. <laughs> so when it comes to the way everything's put together, obviously it is quite chaotic. Do you kind of hear things that you really latch onto and that you really remember very quickly or are you actually finding that this is something of a grower and it's needed some time to kind of coalesce into the whole um sort of both uh i like i said i've liked ghost bath before um so i was expecting to like this quite a lot but i think this is going to end up quite high on my sort of end of year list like i fucking in love with this and i knew that right from my first listen of it because i'd listened to the couple of singles um loved them and then the whole album and loved that but like i said still like, i'm quite a few listens in now and i'm still sort of like it's still coming together more and more like there are songs i guess individual songs which sort of stick with me more and i have in my head and there are other songs which i think are more of a a more of a mood sort of piece type thing um they don't have necessarily the catchy moments for lack of a better phrase but it's more this is how it makes you feel for that whole length of time. So yeah, a bit of both, I guess. Okay. And how do you feel about the the kind of the little neoclassical bits they they flirt with? Because there's definitely some sections where I think, oh, they like later bits of Beethoven. 
Like, yeah. It's one bit where I actually thought they were going to break into the opening of the Chora Fantasia in D minor, and then because <laughs> the opening kind of hammered hammered chords on the piano are very similar. Yeah, there's a few bits like that, and I love that, and I love the mix as well. Um, I think it's definitely more apparent here than on their previous records. Um, but like, that's what I was saying. Like, like sometimes I think there's a couple, there's two or three songs where yeah. it's like the black metal bit and the vocals, and then there's like a couple of minutes sort of outro, if you like. But it's where it goes, like the sort of classical route. Um, there's, I think it's the end of Unbearable, which um, has like this descending piano motif, which sounds like straight from like a black and white fucking silent horror film or something. Which I love that. I love the sort of it feels like old timey in parts, which is really cool. Okay. Well, that's all useful. I'm going to go away and keep in mind what you said and give it another go because I do think I might get into it mm. because I kind of feel I'm almost there. I'm just kind of missing some kind of crucial last step. I also saw on a bank this week that it's uh, recommended by Mr. Unrequited, so that helps as uh, well. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me, actually. There's an awful lot of elements that I would um, ex- expect Ghost to, to like based on his music. But, you know, irrespective of what I, whether I'm kind of into it yet or not, Self-Loather by Ghost Bath has been entered into the HCGB jukebox, uh, and I will report back as to whether I will be picking songs from it. Uh, I, on the other hand, have gone from a much more party atmosphere album for my pick for the uh, birthday show, because I've gone for the third album from Finnish power metal metalers Beast in Black, which is called Dark Connection. Now, little bit of backstory needed here, because I need to make an apology Beast in Black started when their guitar. <laughs> no, no, no! I'm not apologising to you. You, you it's, if you don't enjoy it, you, that's entirely your own fault. Uh, you're the one that's missing out. Uh, Beast in Black started when their guitarist left Battle Beast. Right now, I think Battle Beast are fucking dreadful. I really, really dislike them, and I remember getting them pushed at me really quite hard as, as kind of at the future of power metal and listening to the first two albums and just going no. God, if that's the future, I'll live in the past, thanks. Really, with the one power metal band I would be happier just without. So, uh, awful. So, I never checked out Beast in Black, expecting them to suck just as much as the three Battle Beast albums I wasted my time with. Um, Sorry, that that triggered something. Where did that come from? Anyway, on a whim, this came up, and I listened to it. And I feel like a total dickhead, because I was immediately addicted to it. It is so turbocharged and OTT, and it is camper than me watching Strictly Come Dancing after six gin and tonics. And it, even when John and Johannes are on, and God, I love them. Um, that's a different story. I suspect, though, that poor old Matt hates this in every way. How wrong am I? I think this is the first album you've ever brought on that I have absolutely nothing positive to say about. I fucking despise it. That's fine. You don't need to talk at all. I'll just talk. For, I'll just talk for the next ten minutes solid. Uh, I'm, I'm, don't worry. Um, let's start with what I think is good about it, right? Before you just kind of savage my joy. The choruses are incredibly catchy. I find, like, right from the off. I the reason I kind of went, no, actually, I am into this was. I was on my second play where I the first play had been, oh, maybe I've got Beast in Black wrong. And I, I listened to it for a second time and I was already singing the chorus to Blade Runner on the second listen. Like, they are that catchy. I, ca- I cannot believe it's as poppy as it is. I think it could be catchy if the singer could like remotely sing. <gasps> wow, <laughs> savage Matt enters the room. It just, it sounds strange the whole time. It's like, you mentioned Cookstart My Heart. It sounds like that video of, no, like, it doesn't. like, last no, year he's of in, Vince Neil he's doing Cookstart My Heart, but for an hour. No. He's in tune. <laughs> That's really <laughs> harsh. It doesn't sound anything like it. For a start, he sounds like <laughs> a human. For a second, he doesn't sound 500 years old. And for a second, he is in tune. And for a third, he is in tune. It's it's ridiculous. It's just meant to be over the top. It's, it's meant to be stupidly theatrical and not real not a kind of it's it's definitely that (laughs) yeah yeah that's the point like if you don't like that great that's fine but that's it like it's meant to sound like that that's an it that's a stylistic choice which i am absolutely here for because what makes it for me is that they either know how ridiculous it all is but love that and embrace it without irony 
or they have no idea how ridiculous it all is and just fucking go for it. And if you want any evidence of that from me, just listen to the absolute filth of, of the song Hardcore and the power techno of One Night in Tokyo for details. Like those, they are so silly. It's great. I genuinely can't tell if this is meant to be fun or if it's like Orden Ogan that you said to me where it's like serious power metal, but they aren't doing that real like you say about hardcore that fucking chorus that my kind of lady fucking chorus it makes me want to punch myself in the face so fucking hard well i can see you at the moment would you like me to put that song on to, to, <laughs> so i can watch Not me <laughs> um i sort of think that it probably is quite knowing because if you're doing something that's this far out there unless you're italian it's probably quite difficult not to realize the kind of the po-facedness right because it is incredibly ridiculous. And in the same way that I don't think there are that many black metal bands who don't get that it is quite ridiculous and that it is, but just think, yeah, but it's, it's great. I think they know it and love it. Like Highway to Mars sounds like Skid Row restyled for a night out in heaven. And like they go at one point, they go in a song called Broken Survivors. They basically go full Europop. It's like, we love Eurovision. We don't care who knows. It's so oh, yeah. Finnish. Yeah, it is well Eurovision, isn't it? <laughs> like, all yeah. over the place. I think with the production as well, like, it's, it is that sort of when Eurovision was, like, really popular. Like, it, it sounds it like... Is. Well, yeah, but sort of, I don't know, like, the classic era, I guess. Like, it, this sounds okay. like it's produced by someone who, like, isn't aware that the last, like, 30 years have been a thing that have happened. There is a lot of accept in the production. That's definitely true. <laughs> I, 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 I just can't. There's so, <laughs> there's so many things here. There's like the stabby keyboards in, in the first song specifically, but they're all over the album. Hate it. The synth noises hate them. The fucking key change, mate, in the second song. Hate oh, I it. love and that. You, I love no, that. you only said to me last week that you hate like unnecessary key changes at the end of songs as well. No, yeah, <sighs> but unless it's done ironically, which it clearly is. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think they know exactly what they're doing and they are playing up to a, a trope and they are absolutely saying we love that and we want to be part of it now i th there are people out there who just kind of always want something new i am perfectly happy for we are sticking to conventions really hard but doing it well now if you don't like the convention that's fine absolutely of course that's a reasonable thing to conclude but th it is it is a generic convention that's all it is it's you know, in the same way that that kind of chugging, palm muted riffing style is a convention of thrash, um, and you know, making your first song sound exactly like the opening riff to War Ensemble or Angel of Death is now a convention of thrash too. That's all it's doing um, there, I think, um, and I fucking love it for it. I will, though, I have to say, there are two genuine no-nos. I have to say, and that are the two covers at the end. <laughs> which are unnecessary. Firstly, the Man of War one, completely superfluous. If you're this ridiculous, Man of War has stepped down. That's you <laughs> like that's you becoming that more serious. Uh and and also Battle Him, which is the the song they're covering, that's not actually a particularly well written song. Like it's iconic, sure, but it's really baggily structured and it is the you know there's that heavy metal cliche amongst people who don't listen to metal that metal songs never end. They have like fifteen endings and go on forever, like Lord of the Rings, right? That is basically what that comes from battle him more than anything else because it takes the piss on that front um and doing this song with good production it just shows up that it is actually quite a poorly written song however iconic it might be so that's not great secondly the michael jackson cover musically no problem that's fine but it's fucking michael jackson just no don't do it not anymore we've had no, no. i mean don't do any of the album in my opinion i i'll be honest like this is i i got I got through this once because um, I always like to have one listen before I make notes, and then I listen again. With I notes said you that, didn't that was... have to. I know. I literally I know, said but... if you're hating it that much, don't bother. Just listen to the Michael Jackson song at the end to <laughs> to see if you think it's got any musical value, and to say it's a Michael Jackson cover, don't do it, and no, then we'll but... be done. So you've inflicted that on yourself. The first listen, I listened to both the covers. The second listen, I just got to the the end, like the end track of like I guess the standard edition of the album. I was like, that's enough. Because um, like you know, as if I hadn't had 
a horrible enough time with this. The last song of you know the last original song on this has I think it's a fucking flute coming from nowhere. And oh I, yeah, might just don't want that. Go away. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It is so over the top and so joyous and so completely beyond absurd it's just a joy for an hour and i have been playing it non-stop this is like one of the best power metal records of the year i love it um anyway dark connection by battle beast with whatever matt thinks of it has been entered into the hate crew gay bar jukebox uh, and i will be playing it all the time uh, and, but while we'll have more music for you next week for the hate crew gay bar jukebox for now that is acre at the hate crew gay bar that's finished for time This is Ghost from Unrequited and The Ember of the Ash, and you're listening to Hellbent for Metal, the LGBT plus heavy metal podcast. We finish, as ever, on a camp classic. This is where we take a work of metal that spoke to us as queers and explain why. You probably know that, but it's, some people will be new enough. I have to keep keep them included. Uh, as it's our anniversary, we can do something a bit special here. Way back in episode one, which we titled Gay Satanic Love Songs because I wasn't very good at this yet. Uh, we had a very rudimentary version of HGBs, which wasn't called HGBs yet. Uh, and the first thing I put in on my own was Unrequited's complete masterpiece, Empathica, which was still quite new then. Uh, and while I didn't really talk about it at the time, there is an incredibly gay reason that um, that album means so much to me like it does. Uh, and especially the second movement of the title piece, because of Type track is in three parts, uh, which is called Everwinter. So our camp classic this week is Empathica 2 Everwinter. Matt, obviously we've spoken about Unrequited fairly recently when I yeah. completely predictably put his new album in HGBs, but you haven't quite come around how good this album is yet. How are you getting on with it now? I'm not getting what you're getting from it, but I like I have nothing bad to say about it. Like far from it, it's it's something that i put on it's just it, you know it's really nice isn't it like it's lovely it's got that sort of sense of like peace and euphoria i guess which is great i'm because I, I wouldn't put this i wouldn't put it on and actively listen to it but i don't know how to say that sentence without it sounding like a bad thing because in no way do i mean it as a bad thing okay i'll leave i'll i'll take that as uh, as it's, it's intended because it does sound kind of bad but okay Okay. Um, I think this is up there with the best things I've ever fucking heard, right? Right up there with Hallowed Be the Name and War Pigs and Through Silver and Blood and Then There Was Silence, Inoa Satana, Neptune is Dead, all that shit, right? I want that really clear. I think this is one of the greatest things ever, right? So just be careful with how much you piss on my chips for the rest well, of the Well, that's what I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, obviously that that on its own doesn't have anything to do with why this is a camp classic, but how much I love it is definitely related to that. Obviously, though, there are no lyrics. There's mm -hmm. vocalization, both singing and screaming, but no lyrics. So we can't be talking about that because there isn't any. And there's also no video, so we can't be talking about that. So uh, bearing in mind that I've kind of set up the answer here, have you managed to pick up anything queer from this at all? No, you've really challenged me. <laughs> like, I listened to it like three times in a row and I don't know, but I'm very intrigued to hear what you're going to say. This, to me, right, stop me if anything, if this sounds crazy, to, it sounds like pure, like, wordless joy. Like, completely ecstatic bliss. Yeah. Fair so far? Yeah. Okay. Now, despite my, you know, jovial outward demeanour, um, both on the show and kind of in, on social media, inwardly, I'm not naturally actually very happy. In fact, I've been unhappy for a lot of my life which is probably why i like power metal so much right i just need cheering the fuck up uh but the, as a consequence there have been a fairly small number of moments that feel like this sounds and they've all involved another man my fiance specifically right not just kind of random men in my past <laughs> like until i fell in love with someone who loved me back and it was kind of it was great and it was working and it was kind of, it was obviously going to last. I simply didn't have anything that I could relate this song to. So before I met him, this song would have made me incredibly, incredibly sad because it would just be giving me an insight into a joy I'd never actually felt. But because this happened after that happened, 
this song actually always makes me think of the ha- you know the really joyful moments I've had with him, mm. and it just makes me unbelievably happy. Which, as a result, no matter how shit I'm feeling, I can stick on Empathica, and the moment this song kicks in, you know, the, the moment the kind of there's a big kind of um, there's a big dramatic chord very early in the song. When that kicks in, no matter how shit I'm feeling, my mood lifts because it just makes me think of all that profoundly homosexual joy. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's that's very sad in one way, but like really lovely that that is a thing that you get to have in another. Um is there you sort of said about the sort of chord which like explodes it into life. Is there a reason why it is this song partic- like particularly or as opposed to sort of anything else on the rest of the album or in his back catalogue, I guess? Because it is just this kind of it's this sudden dawn, right? Right. Slight context, and this was the second album in a year from Unrequited. Not a tad unusual for him because he's ridiculously productive. Yeah. But the previous album had been kind of gloomy and kind of not completely down. But it's it was a, it was a lot moodier than this. So to to have that that in my mind of of what his kind of latest work was, and then to come into this, that kind of explosion of joy seems to be the kind of the dawning of of light out of glue because unrequited isn't just happy 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 the whole time he does kind of set up the happy bits by having gloomy bits and it's like it's not major key right it's quite mournful at the same time it's really happy so it's kind of it the joy is coming amidst gloom which is kind of my experience of the world um so those kind of it it's those moments when you turn to someone and you realize i just utterly love you Mm. And just every every uh, I've been thinking kind of horrible thoughts about the world and my life and da, 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 and myself and uh, and I turn I just t- we're watching something on telly and I turn to you and look at you and I realize actually it's all you, you've made that you make everything right. I could just be for for the, in that instant I kind of remember that I can be happy, and that kind of that chord just. It, sounds so much like those moments to me that it's just this kind of profoundly yeah. gay thing right yeah i do i do i do get that um it's i mean obviously you know everyone says it's like how powerful music can be but it's it, i guess it's things like that that really sort of put it into perspective when there's it's not that that's doing that thing to you but it's that is sort of taking you to that place where it you know reminds you of something which is you know that's how it can be sort of thing like i definitely have songs bands albums like that myself which um i guess i guess the reason i didn't get where you were going to go with this is because of the sort of gay thing you know you're saying that that's like your experiences is with your partner sort of thing and that is your sort of pure joy sort of thing whereas yeah i mean i've had that in other contexts but it is really impressive how you know someone that you don't know like writing something you can feel so personally attached to yeah and it is like it does feel profoundly personal to me mm. as a result right not just kind of oh the well this that kind of thing happened in my life that i you know i think is kind of it's it's not related to what he's doing at all he's probably not thought about it even slightly but yeah. it just it just immediately went no that's that's that that's that yeah. that sounds like that thing yeah there's there's a i can't remember the term but there's a term for it isn't it that phenomenon that like when you you sort of hear something or you see something or whatever that is so you like you convince yourself that shit there must be like this like that is definitely written about me or like to me or something even though you know like it can't be i can't remember the term for it and that's gonna bug me but yeah there's that thing which uh you do you get sometimes and it's it, i guess it makes you sort of very contemplative and sort of reassess the whole world <laughs> yeah 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 no it it, it does kind of really and it also crystallizes things that you hadn't realized you were thinking and feeling into yeah. a thought and, and makes you conscious of, of something that you weren't necessarily aware of before. Um, I should probably say, because someone's going to draw jump to a conclusion that I'm not purely talking about sex, by the way, <laughs> like, I'm not going to lie. There is some of that in there because sex with someone you love is joyful. And if, you know, if you're not feeling joy in that story, that's not marvelous. One. But most of what, I'm talking about are actually really simple, fully clothed things. Like, like I say, watching something the telly, turning to my partner, uh, 
I don't think he wants his name on the pod, so I'm going to keep that out of it. But turn to my partner and saying, and just real having that realization, or kind of just being in the pub and just sat down, being there a couple of minutes talking about I don't know the weather or something completely inconsequential, and you just have a realization that just having just being in the company of this one person and talking to them about anything just kind of makes your day and just going, yeah. oh, it's like a affirming sort of thing. Yeah, which is you know because. I have only experienced that with my partner. Yeah. I don't have, I've never had that kind of that profundity of joy in any other context, maybe possibly except live music, but that's very transient, right? That's kind of not something that you can come back to time and time again, because it's always dependent on cer- on the circumstance of the gig. Yeah. You've, you've got like, there are moments, but you can't sort of make them happen. Whereas with your partner is like, it's the sort of reliability of that yeah. sort of there. Um, yeah. I mean, like for me, um, on a, like, on a musical level because i get what you're saying about sort of like finding the or like a sort of gloominess but like the, there's a joy in that um like obviously i i don't know how many albums he's got i've listened to the one from this year i've listened to when Africa, and i've listened to i think one more and there's a definite uh unrequited sound i guess um and sort of mood and the way it makes you feel but there's a lot of like difference musically um but i guess it, that's what I mean about how powerful music can be and especially like this you know with no lyrics or anything the amount of fucking you know ways that your heart can be pulled and whatever is insane yeah completely bonkers uh, I think six albums is the right. top, which considering his debut is in 2016 is amazing yeah. <laughs> like there's an oh, there's an album uh, he did he took part in which might count as a seventh but he that was kind of there was a lot of people contributing tracks to an album, uh, which Violet Cold was on that as well. Um, really? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. The, that was 2017. That's all like that. He's done a, a few EPs as well, but he's um, and a, there's a compilation as well. Uh, but he and he's there's, got another band. Well, and he's got another band. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, he's ridiculous. It, it, the, it, the, I'm not going to dwell on this, but the distinctive sound thing is quite an interesting one because. Of, in my mind, you've got kind of two eras of, of unrequited, which for someone who's only been releasing music for like six years sounds ridiculous. Uh, five years. 2016 was the first one. Christ. The first two albums have a, have kind of sound of their own. And then for me, I think there's quite a distinct change of sound on the first. It's done two albums called Mosaic. Um, the first of them, to me, had a bit of a change of, change of sound. And that's when it kind of the unrequited sound that you talk about emerges right. like disquiet and stars whip to the to the sea great records love them fantastic they are a bit different like it's a bit more black metal it's not quite the kind of the profundity of joy isn't quite as clear it's kind yeah. of a i'm trying something i've got a really good ideas and you're going fuck that's really good but it's it's not quite this unique thing that he's created since is it the euphoria sort of thing that's come in yeah, but it's also it's also just the clarity. Like he it does, he does stillness an awful lot better, I think. Yeah. Like he he used stillness on the first two. It's not saying they didn't, but it's it's all it's just kind of slightly cleaner, slightly crisper, slightly more precise, and yeah. it, there's just kind of the moments of space. Just you feel a little bit more at peace in them. Yeah, well, that's that's what I said. Like one of the first things I said about it, isn't it? Like that's what I've got from Unregulated. I think more than anything, just that peace, and that is just what you want sometimes when you go to put something on. You just want to feel peaceful because you know. Yeah. Life is chaotic, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Life life can be very hard, and listen to Unrequited is incredibly easy. I just like I can just I have got a playlist where everything he's released is just in a playlist, just start to finish, and I have just like stuck it on, not necessarily at the beginning, but I've kind of picked a point and just stuck it on and just put, just let it run, and I've gone for gone for hours, and it's kind of this is this is great. I think it was listened to uh, last week. I think one day I put it on at. Um, uh, Star Switch to the Sea and it kind of went for two hours without changing. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm, can you tell? Slightly obsessed. <laughs> I think it's genius. Anyway, I think we've just up, just about summed up Empathica 2 Everwinter. Uh, we will have another camp classic for you next week uh, when we'll, f- we will hopefully, because hopefully no one's going to do anything, uh, at least nothing that interesting, um, we're going to finally get round to talking about Holy Diver by Dio 
second time lucky. Uh, we'll have uh, HGB entries from Merle, and uh, that's Merle, the uh, Danish band, not. Yeah. Um, Depending on how this Limp Biscuit album is that comes out on Sunday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can see how excited you are. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to say we're just not doing Limp Biscuit under any circumstances. <laughs> fucking dreadful, but no, it's fine. Um, I really hope you're joking. You're just trying to wind me up. Uh, we will have HCGB entries from Merle. That's Merle, the Danish band, not Merle, the editor of Metal Hammer. Uh, and also Diablo Swing Orchestra, who are definitely going in. Uh, uh, and Matt's already kind of dreading it. <laughs> There'll also be something else happening that I won't jinx in case it doesn't happen, but hopefully that will come off. Um, uh, Matt, this has been a joy, as ever, for me anyway. Yeah, well, that was actually a lovely time. You know, there was that 10 minutes which went, but the rest of it, well, it was lovely, wasn't it? You know, nice things happening. You know you loved lovely. it, getting to have a rant about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you need one every so often, don't you? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, until next week, uh, listen to Ghost Bath, listen to Beast in Black, and remember, it does get better. Goodbye. Bye-bye. At least it does get better if you stick on Beast and Black albums. Then everything gets happy and more fun. I need to go away and listen to Battle Beast because it can't possibly be worse. Oh, yes, it can.